People of God, we look together in God's Word in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21, where the truth of God's Word regarding the ascent of Jesus is set before us. An ascent that anticipates uh, the ascension. And so just prior to the narratives on the death of Christ and then the resurrection, uh, there is a, the prelude to that is a anticipation of a type, shadow, and prophecy uh, concerning the ascension of Jesus Christ. Matthew uh, chapter 21, and Jesus going into Jerusalem. People of God, hear the glorious good news of the power, reign, and salvation of our Savior. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, and then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughters of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Well, people of God, uh, in this passage of Scripture, uh, we have set before us these, uh, the truth of, that the Word of God would have us to focus on as we contemplate and as we think about uh, Jesus ascending into Jerusalem uh, like uh, many others uh, who were ascending into Jerusalem, but unlike many, uh, but uniquely ascending. Uh, Jesus was doing this in the context of uh, the pattern of Old Testament worshipers ascending into Jerusalem, particularly to celebrate the Old Testament feasts. And uh, the Sabbath, the seventh day, was over, and now we were on Sunday, the first day, not the Old Testament day of rest, of course, but we're on uh, now this Sunday, so it's a day that you can travel, it's a day you can move about, and what would most of the Jewish people be doing on this Sabbath but moving about? And many would be moving 
traveling uh, on a true holiday, that is a holy day, uh, that is set apart by God's Word in the Old Testament, and that traveling would bring them to Jerusalem for the Passover. And I'm sure there were already a number of people who were coming into Jerusalem for the Passover on this very Sunday. And as they came into Jerusalem, they would ascend up to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem's on a mountain. And in Psalm 122, one of 15 Psalms of Ascent, we have a picture of this. And these Psalms, uh, Psalm 120 to 134, God's Word declares to us that they are songs of ascent. You see that in uh, your Bibles. If you look on Psalm 122, verse 0. Oh, we don't have verse zeros, do we? Well, we really do. Uh, because when you look at these, uh, in my Bible, uh, I have a, a little uh, introduction to Psalm 122. And, it, and the introduction says, let us go to the house of the Lord. Uh, some of those introductions are sometimes on the top of a page. Uh, those are not the Bible. Uh, those are not God's words. That's a man's word put into a, as a summary of what that one commentator may think that the passage is about, but it's not the Bible. But, in my Bible, I have a 122, and then right next to it, it has a song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. The Song of Ascent is part of the Bible. That's Scripture. That's not added. That's in the most historic text that we have connected to the psalm. And God wants us to know that these were songs of ascent. And Jesus is ascending up into Jerusalem. These are the songs that the people would know the best and sing the most. There were others too. Psalm 118, we'll get to that in a moment. But this was one. And so verse 3 and 5 of Psalm 122 are are depicting this ascending up into Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, they ascend. The tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord, to go up to Jerusalem For the Passover, for the Day of Atonement, for the major feasts of the Old Testament, they would be be celebrated in Jerusalem. And the people, whether it would be Mary and Joseph, ultimately with Jesus, going to Jerusalem, or whether it would be all the other people (coughs) that would be found faithful to go to Jerusalem, they would ascend up to Jerusalem. So these are the songs of ascent. This is the Old Testament background to coming into Jerusalem. A time of celebration. A time of reminder that God was going to save them. The Passover, a time of reminder that the lamb had to be shed, the lamb had to be killed, his blood shed, in order for the firstborn to be passed over. In order 
for ultimately God providing a Savior to save us from our sins. And now the king would ascend. And that wouldn't be totally unusual if there was a faithful king in Jerusalem. He may well also ascend into Jerusalem. And so Jesus ascends into Jerusalem. He travels there. Now there's much that went on before. We knew that he's going there because this is the place where he would be betrayed, denied. This is the place where he would be convicted, crucified, just outside the city. Uh, This is right at that time frame. But here we have a picture of his ascension as king. But what happened physically some five days before his death is what happened really at his ascension itself after he was raised from the dead and then he ascended into heaven. And so here's the question. Do you know this ascended son of David? And what are the specific things that our text will declare about this ascended son of David? Well, we'll look at three things. We'll look at uh, his acquisition. We'll look at his ascension itself when he actually went up into Jerusalem. And then the acknowledgement or the voice of the people acknowledging at least physically, and some undoubtedly with a true faith, and probably many without a true faith, as they joined in the parade, as it were, but the acknowledgement of who Jesus was and what he was to do at this moment in redemptive history. Well, first of all is his acquisition, uh, verses 1 through 3, where we have that that declaration of Jesus, which also anticipates the, the reality of his kingship and the nature of his kingship, but also the authority of his kingship and the, the miracle of simply knowing what animal was where and that this animal be right there when the disciples went in. And so there's some divine activity going on here, which is intertwined in this whole passage, the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ and the various works of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. All of that comes out in this text. But his particular kingship is rooted here. For he commands his disciples, his disciples obey him. Uh, This wouldn't be unusual at this moment in time. His disciples have come to know him as their master. Uh, They recognize him as a teacher. and uh, And Jesus tells them to go into this town. It's outside of Jerusalem because he has to ride up into Jerusalem. And, uh, and Jesus says there's going to be a colt, uh, a donkey and her colt, and they're going to be tied and go get them. And when, the, and when the owner asks, just say, the Lord has need of them. And then he will say, go right ahead and take. 
uh, this uh, donkey. I'm not sure how any, many of us would respond if somebody come and said, uh, the Lord has need of your car, and so we're just going to take your car. Um, we might have some reservations, especially today, since we don't know of any Lord walking around. But I suspect this man had no doubt when they said the Lord has need of him, this one knew that that Lord was Jesus. I just, uh, we have absolutely no reason to doubt that that was present in the mind of the owner of the donkey. And Jesus knew that that was someone who would know him. And when he said Lord, he would recognize that as being Jesus. And so Jesus makes these claims. And he, he makes the command and they follow. And that's what disciples do with their Lord. With whatever Jesus commands us as his people, that is what we want to do. And we look to his word for those commands. Uh, we look to those who have been granted wisdom to, to teach and train us in the, in the word of Jesus. Uh, the disciples followed. And the second thing is, is that we see that his acquisition was through a, a divine proclamation, and actually it was divine, and, but also a pro, uh, to get one particular animal, a donkey. It was not unheard of, but it was certainly unusual. You would think that Jesus would come in on a war horse, like one of these big Clydesdales or Frisian horses. You know, this, this beautiful, majestic animal. Or a chariot, that he would have a chariot. But he commanded to get a donkey. He could have got a horse or a chariot, I'm sure. Zechariah, the, the prophecy from Zechariah will tell us because all of this is getting at the nature of his ascent, how he went into Jerusalem, what he was proclaiming and teaching as he went in Jerusalem. And so he acquires the animal and then he rides upon this donkey into Jerusalem, which is a fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, the, uh, the people would declare uh, the nature of, the, they would declare that uh, Jesus is uh, this king coming into Jerusalem. Uh, verse 5 of our scripture reading, say to the daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Humble is one of the key words here comes out of Zechariah 9, verse 9, one of the very latter of the prophets of Israel. Zechariah 9, uh, beginning with verse 9, we read these words in the context of this prophecy in Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, 
and from the river to the ends of the earth. And as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Oh, this king, he's coming. But remember the disciples in in the New Testament, they're always expecting that Jesus is going to conquer Rome. And the prophecy from Zechariah points out that this is the opposite of what Jesus is going to do. He's going to come and he's going to preach peace. It's going to be a different kind of kingdom. It's going to be a different kind of bringing people together, not by the war horse, but through a suffering servant. A suffering servant, of which the donkey is proclaiming this great theme of Zechariah. And and a servant who will ultimately bring in the nations. So, Zechariah 13, verse 1 will declare, And on that day there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. On that day, the day of salvation, what's going to happen? A fountain is going to be established to cleanse. It's all tied to this prophecy of Zechariah. A fountain filled with blood, the blood of propitiation. Uh, The blood that bore the wrath of God on the cross. The blood that removes sin. The blood that cleanses us from sin. The blood that changes and rearranges our lives. A fountain filled with blood. A sacrifice coming out of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city of peace. Salem, peace. The very name of the city points to the purpose and work of Christ, peace between God and man, peace between brother and sister, peace between one enemy and another. It is the gospel that can bring this about. Jesus, riding, ascending, is communicating all of this in the context of going up to Jerusalem. And as we said, it anticipates his future ascension. Uh, There is no doubt that this is not uh, the coronation and the true ascension of Jesus because some who would shout Hosanna uh, to Jesus at this moment would later cry crucify him as they once again are caught up in a moment. But without a doubt, this ascent anticipates the ascension of Jesus into heaven. And our true ascent is not to go to Jerusalem, but we too will ascend and be singing the psalms of ascent as we go up in victory even into the very presence of our God, into heaven itself and the throne room of God and the judgment seat of God, where Christ, no longer in humility, but exalted in glory, sits. And so this anticipates that future ascension. 
and what is going on in the, in the external activities of Jesus and the fact that he's coming into Jerusalem at this particular time uh, during the Passover week and as he ascends uh, in uh, the history of God's people coming into Jerusalem, but a particular prophecy tied to Jesus the people acknowledge this. They come to confess this. Even if they didn't know the full scope and meaning of that confession. Psalm 118. They take upon their lips the John 3.16 of the Old Testament, which is a Psalm 118, verses 25 through 27. Uh, you just might note here um, uh, that they entered Jerusalem and, and the people just cried this out. It wasn't like they said, well, let us go and the Bible and find which passage we think might apply to the situation. No, they just started quoting Isaiah. And in Luke, it says the children declared this as well. And they just declared it because they knew, not Isaiah, Psalm 118. They knew that passage. They know it like some, I think probably almost all of you children would know John 3.16, right? Well, like you know John 3.16, the children of Jesus' day knew Psalm 118.25 through 27. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. But verse 26 in particular, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us a success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, this is the declaration that's focused on. This is the acknowledgement of the people as Jesus comes and ascends up to Jerusalem. And what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, the word is Hosanna in uh, Matthew 21. Say, uh, uh, when we come... In verse 9, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that ties in with Zechariah. Say to the daughters of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. So the coming of the Lord, the coming into Jerusalem, all these Old Testament passages together in these people's minds, but they take the passage from uh, Psalm. And you think, but they misquoted it because... It says, they said, Hosanna to the son of David. And in, uh, and, in Isaiah, and in Psalm 118, it says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. But as I mentioned, the phrase, Save us, we pray, O Lord, are three Hebrew words. And those three Hebrew words, if you think of them like a... Uh, a contraction in English. So if you have the word cannot, and then you make it can't. So instead of two syllables, you have only one syllable, and we call that, it's a contraction. You, you, you skip 
something. You skip part of the, of the two words and you make them one. Right? That's what we do. Well, that's what the Israelites did with these three Hebrew words in Psalm 118, verse 25. And the word, instead of three words, the word that is left is this word, Hosanna. Hosanna is not an English word. It is a contraction of three Hebrew words. It's all three words together. Hosanna means, O Lord, now save us. And if we were going to do it in the proper order of the Hebrew, it would be, Lord, save now. It's a prayer. Save us now, O Lord. And it gets particularly interesting because uh, it's the word for Yahweh. Uh, the word ho is the, is the, word, is the shortened form of Yahweh. Yah-ha-ha. Hosanna, Hosanna. The word za, s, the s part is sa, ho, sa is the word for salvation. And na is the word that indicates a prayer and the word now, it's a do it now, have it an immediate type of thing. That's Hosanna. But of course, Jesus, that word, that name, is the contraction of two Hebrew words, salvation and Yahweh. And so they're, they're mimicking the name Jesus in the word Hosanna. In Hebrew, it would sound much more similar. Hosanna and Jesus would sound much more similar. Jesus is, is Greek, not Hebrew. The Hebrew name for Jesus is Yahashia or Yashia or Joshua, we say, but it's a real soft J in Hebrew. And, and so the name Jesus fits the word Hosanna. Two-thirds of the word of Hosanna are the same syllables that are in the name Jesus. It's all connected. And save us. You children should know, what did the angel say to to, to Joseph when he said, you shall name him Jesus. And why should, the, why should Joseph name this baby coming in the womb of Mary Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. And so the very birth narrative is now reflected in Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and the prayer of the people that goes up. It's tying his birth with his, his ascent and anticipating his death and the way he will save us. They said, save us now. And Jesus really did save them now, 2,000 years ago. Because it was that very week, within hours, that he would go to the cross and he would die. And that was an answer to the prayer, Hosanna, save us now. And Jesus saved them. Save us now. And then they cried out, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest. And when they said Hosanna in the highest, they would say, Yahweh, save us 
Yahweh in the highest save us. So the second part of this prayer isn't focused on looking at Jesus, but the second part is focused looking at Yahweh in heaven, the Father. So you have two prayers, one prayer to Jesus and one prayer to the Father, which would be blasphemy if Jesus wasn't true God. And there was certainly an, uh, a strong group that believed that the Messiah would be true God. And that group's conviction is coming out in what is being declared in this passage. Because if you have a man before you and you say, Hosanna to you, the son of David, Yahweh, save us, Jesus, which means I will save my people from my sins, from their sins. We look to Jesus. It is only God that can save us from our sin. And Jesus saves us from our sin. And so you have this acknowledgement by the people that Jesus is the one to whom they need to look to to be saved. But they also have the prayer to the Father in heaven. It is quite the prayer here. A striking prayer. And then Hosanna to the son of David. Now they're acknowledging that Jesus, though they know him as a prophet from Nazareth, they know that Joseph, he comes from the lineage of David. They know it. And now they're calling him son of David. Not in in some kind of generic sense, but the term son of David is now being specifically applied and used by the people at the time of Jesus for the Messiah, the Christ. So they're acknowledging that he's their king, that he's the king. In the Hosanna declaration, they look to him as a priest savior. It's tied to his saving work. And now they acknowledge him as king. And and in verse 11, the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. So you have prophet, priest, and king in this context. You can see why the text is, is filled with meaning and significance for the people of God of all ages. Hosanna to the son of David. It's the same prayer that that we need to be praying. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father. And the Athanasian Creed reminds us that the, the Father is Lord and Jesus is Lord and the Spirit is Lord and yet there are not three Lords, there's one Lord and the Father is Savior and Jesus is Savior and the Holy Spirit is Savior but there are not three Saviors. There's one Savior. And you get this prayer to Jesus and this prayer to the Father. And it's not three gods. It's one God who will answer in that mystery of the Trinity and the incarnation of Jesus Christ as the true Son of David, the Messiah, come in the flesh, God incarnate, and with the result being that no matter where and how we are saved 
and what we are saved from. It is our God who saves us in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as 1 Corinthians 6 uh, so clearly declares. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, it, it declares it this way, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, no men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were saved. You cried out in your sin, Hosanna to the Son. Hosanna to the Father. And you were saved. And that's the only way we are saved. As we cry out, Hosanna to Jesus. Hosanna to the Father in the power of of the Spirit. And so these are prayers of salvation. These people were praying a prayer of salvation, some by true faith, some with the crowd. But may we pray those prayers, Hosanna, with a true faith, with an eye upon Christ. Save us, O Lord. Jesus, the King of Israel, the king of Israel. And the crowd said and went before him, Hosanna to the son of David who comes in the name of the Lord. See, daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming. He is the king of Israel. He is the prophet of Israel. He is the savior of Israel. This is Jesus Christ, the one who saves us from our sin. He saves us by the, from the power of our sin. He saves us from reoccurring sin. He saves us from the devastating consequences of our sin. He saves us from the enticer to sin. He saves us from the power of the devil. He saves us from the world that would embrace us and, and bring us into sin. Hosanna is a prayer that we ought to be praying every day. A prayer of the church of Jesus Christ. A prayer of confession. A prayer of humble adoration. Is this your prayer? Is this your hope? May it so be so that we don't just sing the little children sang, but that we might declare, we pray. O Lord, save us now. And then we would want to unite our voices with the voices of those who saw the true ascension of Jesus into heaven itself. Uh, because truly it is not a bad thing that in the context of Jesus' ascent, there is great rejoicing. There is great joy. 
What greater joy is there now to know the fullness of Christ's salvation on the cross in the power of resurrection and His, His glorious ascension? Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And declare with the, with the church triumphant in glory in the, that's revealed to us in the book of Revelation this ascended king who's a lamb that was slain. Revelation 5, verse 11. And then I looked and heard and around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Amen. O Lord God, we pray that the power of Christ's saving work may be impressed upon our hearts and minds and the appropriateness of a prayer that comes before you. Hosanna. O Lord, save now. May be upon our lips, not just in song, but in our hearts each and every day. And we thank you, O God, for the way in which you have saved, in the which way you continue to save, in the way that you save people in a moment from all their sin and from all their misery as they are converted and for, for us as you save us every single day. And so, O Lord, may we continue to pray, Hosanna, O Lord, save. In Jesus' name. Amen.